it's your polyamorous mama Jess here. I've missed you. As you may have noticed, we've been away for a couple months, and that's because we welcomed our little one to this world March 10th, 2021 at 4.49 in the morning, right in the center of our living room. Y'all, this home birth healed so many pieces of my soul, and I can't wait to tell you all about it. I can't believe we're here, but here we are in the season one finale of Remodeled. In this episode, we sit down with the godfather of our children, Christopher Daniels, aka Titi, to share the sacred birth story of Lucius Soul Day Lover. The mission of Remodeled as a whole is to redefine family and redefine love. And the reverent home birth of our sweet LSD did just that. Can you imagine a more perfect way to end our first season? The telling of birth stories, if you've never read or heard one, is an extremely powerful genre of storytelling. Not only does it capture forever the details for the family, but it can open up something for the listener too. From a semiological standpoint, expanding your consciousness around the truth and the power of home birth is as important as expanding your consciousness around the truth and the power of polyamory and other lesser known relationship models. Sure, neither are designed for everyone, but it's important that everyone have the wisdom so that the script exists for the culture at large. This is how we create an inclusive world that works for everybody. The system has taken and hidden so many things from us, the power of birth being one of them. Hearing stories of successful, healthy polyamorous relationships, as well as successful, healthy home births, gives us all permission to take our power back. We all have the right to live and birth the way we are called to, whether that breaks tradition, sticks with tradition, or redefines tradition altogether. Trigger warning for this episode, mentions of birth trauma and obstetric violence. If you or someone you know had a traumatic birth experience, please consider a birth processing session. Check out the podcast description for links to two people whom I recommend for that. All right, my loves, sit back, drop in, and enjoy the season one finale of Remodeled. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. You're listening to Remodeled, the podcast. Remodeled is a project whose goal is to expand the cultural narrative on healthy relationships in order to include ethical non-monogamy, non-partnered, asexual, open, and more. We are here to redefine love. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Remodeled, the podcast. I am your very tired polyamorous mama, Jessica Levity Daylover, Mrs. Daylover, if you want to pull my hair. Anyway... In the room with me in Dream Life Studio is the father of both of my children. We have two children, Mr. Daylover. The Luke to your Lorelai. Okay, now that's really fucking cute, right? Because I want to be Lorelai so bad. But Luke is so problematic. I know, Luke is problematic and he's more cantankerous than I would like. But I think out of all of the three, out of Max, out of, I'm definitely not Chris. I'm definitely Luke if those are my options. What's really sexy to me right now is that you were even able to drop all those references. (laughs) Or I'm definitely not Jason. Uh, Yeah. Jason had good banter with Lorelai, and that's what made him enjoyable. 
Uh, we have good banter, but, you know, I definitely resonate more with Luke. So Joe and I started watching Gilmore Girls, re-watching Gilmore Girls as like my nesting show in the third trimester. We're almost at the end now, and I'll never watch it again. And we're recognizing how early 2000s problematic many of the episodes are. I got the whole fucking thing. I do want to do like a uh, polyamorous fan fiction version where I go through my theories of of what a polyamorous version of that show would be. I'll be making a TikTok about it. Anyway, we have a very special guest today. Um, currently baby wearing the newest day lover, the godfather of both of my children, the man known as TT, it's Christopher Daniels. Hi. Hi, TT. Hi. <laughs> um, we're really happy to have you on the show. So oh excited. God. I'm so honored. I'm also so excited to do this podcast with a baby strapped to my chest. Is he asleep yet? Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you've been following the journey, you know, every episode I've been like, I'm 34 weeks pregnant. I'm 35 weeks pregnant. Well, Mr. Lucius Salt Day Lover came at 39 weeks and three days, I think. Um, and so he is in the studio with us now, and I am, and I am one person with no other people inside of me. I'm sitting here breathing normally. It's lovely. What's that like? <laughs> Fucking never doing it again. Okay, <laughs> I'm putting this out into the airwaves. Somebody, I'm getting my tubes tied right now. Ancestors, listen up. The you foot know, is being put down. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like. People all the time are like, so Joe's getting Joe's getting a vasectomy, huh? And I'm like, you are talking to a polyamorous woman, okay? When when addressing a polyamorous woman, you bring the birth control options to all parties. I want my tubes tied. Well, and I am getting a vasectomy for reasons, in addition to what they might suspect. Yeah, no, I appreciate in monogamous relationships the burden of birth control when a couple is done having babies. I appreciate the burden falling falling to the man, right? Because good, y'all need to do it. We do way too much of it. However, I'm not a monogamous woman. I want my fucking tube size so I can fuck and not worry about it. Anyway, real quick, babe, can you guess how many downloads our podcast has as of right now? A few thousand. It's been so long, I don't even remember where we're at. We hit 7,000 today. Dang, that's a lot. Ooh, hey. Yeah, right. <laughs> 7,000 downloads of Go us. It's so cool. And I feel like every day I get a message from someone new that's like the podcast was, you know, sent to them through a friend of a friend of a friend. So episode one has 1,125 downloads. Wow. I'm astounded by that. Right. And so that's really cool that this thing has grown over time and uh, that I was able to take a three-week break. Right. How cool is that to go on this journey and end it, end season one with the birth of our second child and the story surrounding it? Yeah. So we were hoping that it was going to be this perfect 12-week season. We were going to finish the season with episode 12 and then have a baby. But Lucius had other plans. Yeah. He came here a little bit early. So this episode is going to be the birth story of Lucius Soul Day Lover. And in order to like really tell this story, there's some context that, that I want to explain first. So it's going to be kind of me heavy for a minute. And this isn't traditionally a polyamorous story, but it kind of is. I'm curious to see how we're going to bring this around. But I just think the way that our life is kind of polyamorous in nature and the way that we have redefined family 
we're yeah polyamorous as a kind of baseline not just in our romantic relationships yes exactly so trigger warning before we get into this episode i will be talking about birth trauma and so if you have any trauma around uh, birth or obstetric violence please know that before moving forward with this episode so some things some things i want to explain first um in order to really understand the power of this birth story, there's some things about my first birth I want to explain. There's some things about home birth in general I want to explain and um, some information about the relationship with my birth team this time around that is all important. It's all context to really understand the beauty and the power of the birth of Lucia Soul Day Lover. But first, briefly, TT. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into it later. Okay. But briefly... If you can, what was it like to witness your very first birth? Oh, my gosh. Uh, even Lucius wants to join in on the retelling of this. We hear it all the time. People are like, there's nothing like seeing birth life. That it'll, it'll fundamentally change you at the core of who you are. And you always hear that and you go, yeah, 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 no, totally. Like, I accept that as a thing that people say all the time and I intellectually understand what you're saying. And then you're in the room when the universe splits open and a child comes out (laughs) and it's not something you can mentally physically or spiritually prepare yourself for and so i am a changed person because i was there and for the whole process not just because i came in and and witnessed this little one coming into the world but the entire journey what we'll get into because i was there i am now a changed person as a result Mm. Oh, Charles, that's so beautiful. Yeah, so I think I asked you in my second trimester if you would please be present at the birth. Mm-hmm. And that was because I had received, I mean, y'all listened to, what was it, episode eight? Where we get, no, episode nine, we get into our spirituality. Ten, I believe. Yeah, I don't remember. But um, y'all know I'm super woo. And I had received very direct guidance from the powers that be that Christopher Daniels was... I was told that you are meant to bear witness to his birth. That's what I was told. So I asked you if you'd be there and you said, hell, yes. I did. And the funny thing is, is I mean, I had zero expectations of what the experience was going to be like, but I came into it going, okay, if you need me to do anything, like I'm down for whatever, like just give me direction and I'm I'm humbly in service to what is ever going to unfold. And you're like, no, just just want you to be there just to bear witness and just see so i thought i was just going to be a spectator like i thought i was going to be like in the corner somewhere like with some popcorn and my coke zero and just witnessing the miracle of creation <laughs> i had no idea what was going to happen God, yeah well me neither really oh mm-hmm. i didn't even think about that mm-hmm. truly well thank you for doing more than just bearing witness. <laughs> so so the context so my first birth was successful at home I did have a successful home birth, but it was highly traumatic, and I don't need to get into that. If you're interested in reading that story, you can Google the birth of Aslan Ray. That's A-Z-L-A-N, Aslan, and then Ray, R-E-Y. You can Google that, and you will find it's the only thing that pops up on alchemistmovement.org. It's on our blog page, and you can read that story. So the trauma that I carried into this birth, even though I processed, I went through several birth processing sessions, was one 
that I had disappointed people, that I had taken so long, my birth had taken so long, I had called my birth team too early. So you're really not supposed to like call your midwives till active labor. And I was so fucking certain I was in active labor because of how much pain I was in. And I was only at three centimeters. I had this plan that all of my friends were going to witness my birth. I had to send everyone home because I wasn't progressing. And I was stuck on disappointing people and being a people pleaser and performing. I had major trauma around my labor stopping. And so There was a point around hour 12 where we were doing all of these nipple stimulation and tinctures to try to get my contractions to pick back up. And so I kept feeling like, oh my God, my body is shutting down. My labor is stopping. People are waiting on me. This is never going to end. I had trauma around pushing for what felt like forever and nothing happening. Um, I just had trauma around the pain And if you read the birth story, which I tell the whole thing in details on alchemistmovement.org, all of this happened because the baby was malpositioned. And so he was asynclitic. So his head was not perfectly on top of my cervix, which is why it took me so long to dilate. He also had a nuchal hand or nuchal arm. So his arm was up above his head. And all of these things affect the body's ability to labor correctly. So I never felt clear starting and ending contractions. Um, I had back labor the entire time. So I basically felt one giant contraction the entire time. And it took a really long time to move him through the birth canal because he was not positioned ideally. I really did not have the labor and birth experience that I thought I was going to have because nothing happened the way it was quote unquote supposed to. And it is honestly a miracle that we got this baby out at home in a hospital. This would have absolutely resulted in a C-section and the midwives to this day are still not sure how this baby came out at home. And so I just had all of this trauma around feeling like I couldn't do it, that my body didn't know how to labor and Not to mention all of the trauma that I went into after, including not being able to get out of bed for three weeks, not being able to sit on a toilet normally for nine weeks. I mean, it just, it really, really wrecked my body. So that's what I carried into this birth. Um, So that's kind of the context of my first birth. I really said I would never, ever, ever, ever do it again. That's why, that's how traumatized I was. So going into the second birth, how afraid are you of something similar happening? It's like so afraid, but also kind of put it out of my mind. And I had done several birth processing sessions in order to emotionally and spiritually and psychologically process and release the first birth. I had all of these positive success stories, especially from our midwife, that she loves second babies. Second babies are her favorite babies to catch because they come sliding out, but there's no guarantee of that. So you have this, I'm going to be one of those moms who has a great second birth, but there's just no fucking way to know. And there's all these contingencies of even if I have a great birth, I could hemorrhage after or who knows. And I also want to talk about Um, the relationship with our birth team. So we were super friend, like friendly with our midlife. We loved, we adored her three years ago for Aslan's birth. But now three years later, she literally is one of our best friends in this entire world. She's like a sister to me. I worship this woman. Oh, we all do. We, yeah. And I mean, and I don't use that word lightly as a, as a spiritual religious person. I I absolutely adore the work that she does and you know and as a mother herself and just as a human being I I just love her so much. I mean that 
I would really call her my best friend simply factoring in time alone right now like I have a circle an inner circle of like three or four best friends but the person I talk to the most I mean we text all day every day this is my person <laughs> would I go hope oh, you texting babe Tiffany Kylie <laughs> <laughs> yeah like this is I I love this woman to the ends of this earth and so by this time around the investment we both had in the second baby and in the second birth was really immense and so our relationship was different this time and how badly she wanted for me to have a beautiful birth. And I mean, we even call this her baby. Like she'll tell you this is her baby. I was just the surrogate for it, you know? So these are all of the things that I want everyone to keep in mind as we head into the telling of this birth story. I think that's kind of perfect for part one. So we're gonna take a super short break. Then when we get back, we are going to tell you in detail the magical, life-changing birth of Lucia Soul Day Lover. We'll be right back. Hey friends, this is Jessica Levity Day Lover, reminding you that you are not alone on the polyamorous path. If you're looking for peer support or coaching on your non-monogamous journey, and you want to work with the day lovers, head to remodeledlove.com and book with us today. And we're back. How you doing, TT? Oh, I am so good. I have this beautiful child just nuzzled in my voluptuous bosom. And just every once in a while just gives that like... <laughs> Tell us why newborns are your favorite. Oh, my gosh. Well, okay. So interesting story. You gave context to sort of first birth versus second birth. So I know you remember this because you remind me of this all the time. When you were pregnant with Aslan, I was like... Cute. Um, I'm gonna let y'all have the newborn and the child, but like, bring him to me when he's like 16. Like, I will be on a mountain somewhere. Like, we will have a kiki and we will go on adventures together. But like, I don't want anything to do with him until he's older. Sadly, convinced I was not. Yeah, I don't like babies. I don't like babies. I was really in that mindset of. I didn't want to be around small children. And that was the initial magic of Aslan. Because the second I held on to him, I was like, okay, my heart is completely shattered open. It is so expansive. I have never loved someone or anything as much as I love this child. And it was literally love at first sight. And I remember those initial weeks as I was over here at the house pretty much every single day because it was really important to me to bond with you, Aslan. You were doing skin to skin. Every day. Yeah, you would walk in, shirt would come off, you would get in bed with me because I was not moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. And then there was the pecking order. I was like, oh, this is so nice. Everyone's here to like meet Aslan. <laughs> However, I need you to know that I'm the HBIC. I am the TT. I'm the godfather. Therefore, like I will relinquish this child for a brief period of time and then I'm going to need him back <laughs> on my chest. I have completely changed and have fallen in love with newborns because there's something so magical about them in this very complicated world. There's nothing more grounding than holding a baby. Like, your whole world could be falling apart, and you have zero answers for any... Oh, hi, pumpkin. You do not know what to do. But somehow, if you make it through the day, and you take care of this child, and you love this child, then you feel like you've accomplished something. And in fact, you're doing the most important work. Like, I might not have solved all the problems within my life, but I have done the most that I can do today. 
Oh, well said. And all they want to do is cuddle and sleep. Oh my gosh. Which is like sleeping is like one of my favorite activities. And so it just became like a justification as to why I could take mid morning and mid afternoon mm-hmm. naps. It's Ooh, like they've got right it now? figured out. Oh my gosh. I know. And it's just, you learn so much from watching newborns and small children. They have no problem asking for what it is that they want really are amused and happy by the smallest of things all they want to do is love you and be loved in return Mm -hmm. like just these simple lessons that you're reminded of the innocence of childhood that you're like oh my gosh i've complicated my life and i've gotten so far away from the truth and then you look at this thing and you go oh my god (laughs) i love you so much Mm, watching you love my children is like the greatest joy of my life it is sublime (laughs) So this birth story begins Tuesday, March 9th at 4.30 a.m. My due date is not for a whole nother week, March 16th. Tuesday, March 9th, I get up at 4.30 in the morning and I'm pretty sure my water is leaking. Really no big deal because I could still be days away from labor at that point. Like it's not like the movies, my water didn't break. Even if it did full on break, you could still be 24, 48, 72 hours away from pushing out a baby. And so I was just like, wow, that's crazy though because it's definitely happening soon and you know with natural birth there's no plan like you are letting nature take its course you are letting the body do what it does and so texted my midwife hey water's leaking I feel fine no contractions going back to bed went back to bed texted y'all in the morning said Mm -hmm. hey my water's leaking no big deal could still be days away but you know clear your schedule so in the morning around nine my midwife who remember is like my favorite person, best friend in the entire world, comes over to check my blood pressure, take my vitals. Now, this is a crucial element here because what no one was expecting was, you know, she does my blood pressure and it's it's showing up in the 150s. And I will never in my life forget the look on her fucking face. Like the blood just drained from her face and she was like, your blood pressure is too high. We have to go to the hospital. And I just wanted her to lie to me. Like, I wanted her to be like, oh, it's probably fine, blah, blah. She checked it again, still in the 150s. Now, here's the thing. Within the world of midwifery, there are super crunchy granola hippie midwives, and then there are what is derogatorily called medwives, meaning medical wives, meaning the crunchy midwives think that these midwives have sold out to uh, the medical system and birth is not supposed to be medical, blah, blah, blah. Well, Tiffany Hoffman is a certified professional midwife, is called a medwife here in Reno, and that's why I fucking love her. She doesn't fuck around. She will tell you, I respect birth, but that bitch can take a left turn at any time. So there are midwives who will take high-risk births at home. Not Tiffany. Nope. Uh, if you show up outside her field of scope, scope of field, whatever that's called, you, you birth in a hospital. And so... I still thought it was kind of like, okay, well, maybe we don't have to go. And I kind of flew out of my body a little bit. And she was like, do you need a minute to process this before we go? And it was her asking me, do you need a minute to process this before we go? Where I was like, oh, fuck, she's serious. And I said, I cannot process this right now. I will have to process it after. I am sure I will have feelings about it after. But right now I cannot even think about it. I just have to do it. And my heart was kind of breaking. And I was like, I'm probably going to cry. I'm okay. 
I just was not expecting this, but I'm sure God has a plan. God wants me to know what it's like to birth in a hospital. I hadn't even comprehended what birth in a hospital was like. And so I made her kind of paint a picture for me of what that was going to be like. Um, she painted that picture. I did not like it. All of the monitoring and testing and nurses and doctors. And I was not even going to know my the doctor. It was going to be whatever fucking doctor was on call. And you can only, because of COVID, have two people. So I was going to not bring my doula and I was going to have Tiffany come with me because I wanted her to fucking guard me. Um, warning obstetric violence is a thing. And so I was like, you're coming with me and you better make sure they don't do a fucking thing to me that I don't want done. And I had my birth plan all typed out. I didn't want any intervention. And so Tiffany was going to run defense for me and advocate for me in the hospital because honestly, I'm fucking terrified of hospital births. People are like, oh, I'm too scared to ever do a home birth. Well, I'm too scared to do a hospital birth. And I thought the universe was just humbling me. And honestly, I, I was just like so out of my body. What were you thinking? I trusted what was happening. But at the same time, I knew what this was for you. I knew what home birth meant to you and that you likewise would trust the path that was unfolding that Lucius would choose we hadn't released his name yet, but that the baby would choose whatever birth they wanted and you would do your best. But at the same time, I knew how terrified you are were of hospitals and the potential trauma that awaited. Not just fear of hospitals and obstetric violence, but also desiring a home birth for a very specific reason because it's so fucking sacred. And birth is sacred anywhere you birth blah, blah, blah. I'm, I don't, I'm not out here trying to say home birth is better than hospital births. For me, it is. It is absolutely what I desired. And um, I, I wanted to birth in my home. And so my heart was breaking. Um, but high blood pressure is a sign of preeclampsia, which can kill birthing people. And Tiffany doesn't fuck around with that. And so she was like, all right, pack your bags. Here we go. However, also because she is a quote unquote midwife, um, she exclusively works with her midwife partner, who is her own certified professional midwife, but they work in tandem. So they each have their own clients, but they each attend each other's births. So there are always two expert midwives at every single birth. And she was like, I'm not thinking clearly because I'm too connected to you, conflict of interest. Like I have too much emotion wrapped up in you. So I'm going to have Amanda come here and double check your blood pressure because I don't trust myself right now. So Amanda comes a few minutes later and I am, Amanda's like, I'm just going to check your blood pressure just to make sure Tiffany's not crazy. And then we'll pack your bags and go. And she takes my blood pressure. She takes the stethoscope out of her ears and looks at Tiffany and goes, it's 128. It's fine. And I just felt like there was this record scratch of, Tiffany's like, take it again. She's like, oh, fuck. Okay. She takes it three more times and it's totally normal. And then <laughs> Tiffany takes it again and it's high, but still safe to be at home. And so there was just, it was sort of like a near-death experience. I experienced the death of what I thought I was about to experience. I was certain we were going to the hospital and was coming to terms with that. And now all of a sudden we're staying home. 
but also my labor hasn't started and there's no way we can guarantee that it's going to start anytime soon. It could be a couple days and we didn't want to risk it. So we did a good old midwifery induction because midwives cannot give Pitocin in order to induce labor. However, you can drink a castor oil smoothie, which sounds disgusting, but there's so much good stuff in it. It was actually delicious. <laughs> That's such a Homer moment, like, mmm, castor oil smoothie. <laughs> like, Homer, did you drink my castor oil smoothie? <laughs> I think that's a generous reinterpretation, because that was definitely not the mentality when you were drinking it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Did I say it was disgusting? I don't remember. It It was okay. I tasted some of it. So we've decided this baby is coming out today. And now these midwives do not prefer to give people castor oil smoothies. They want your birth to progress naturally. So it was a big deal. It was a big deal that my midwives were like, Jess, you're going to go ahead and drink a castor oil smoothie today. I was like, oh, shit, this is serious. They were like, let's just not fuck around with your blood pressure for another day. Like, let's get this baby out today. So I was like, oh, shit, we're having a baby today. Was not expecting it. Right. And so my mind is shifting into production mode, getting everything with the house ready and all of our day of supplies. I hadn't imagined that would be we would be having a baby today. But lo and behold, here we are. And so my mind is shifting right into that mode. And I had given Joe a a producer's to-do list of how to prep the space when it was go time, just like I do for any show we produce. Right. Yeah. Just like any production, we've got a list of tasks that we are set to perform. And these are things around the house that I've been doing for weeks upon weeks. And there's also, in addition to that, a day of list. They're like, we want you drinking the smoothie in the next couple hours. And so it's suddenly go time. We're having a baby today. So I text Chris and I'm like, all right, we're having a baby today. So Joe is prepping the house. I am getting my life together to try to understand like I'm about there's just a giant question mark for birthing people like you're heading into a birth and you have visions of it and you know what you hope you want it to be but there's also a big fucking question mark with natural birth or or just anything that's not a planned surgery you have no idea how it's about to go and you're like here we go Chris we tell you to come over at 1230 to uh to play with Aslan mm-hmm while we prepped the house. Yeah, and just for sort of my side of the day and what happened, I wake up, I get your text. I'm like, ooh, okay, great. You know, I had just come from being in Austin, Texas with my sister and the birth of her second child. So I know how quickly second births can progress and how things can move quickly. But I had a client, I had a, I had a meeting that afternoon, and then I get your text like, hey, it would be really helpful if you came over and, and watch Aslan so that Joe can prepare the space and I can, you know, get in the right headspace. And I was like, okay, oh, it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. Okay, I'm running around my place. What do I need? What do I need? Nothing useful. Nothing beneficial. I grabbed my drum and I grabbed some crystals and I headed over. <laughs> like, not a change of clothes, not my glasses. Glasses, not anything in a survival scenario that would be beneficial, but just some woo-woo stuff that Spirit told me to grab on my way out. And then I came over and then, of course, got to see my little pumpkin muffin. And it, you really, it, it's an interesting energy walking into because there is sort of this powder keg of yet-to-be-expressed movement and energy, mm-hmm. but it was very calm. Like, it didn't seem real. Yeah. It's, it felt very, d- like, detached from what was about to happen. It's, like, mundane because it has to be. But you're like, 
why am I so casually cleaning the living room? Because I'm about to birth a baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it it would just weave in and out of conversation. So Joe would be like, hey, so we're thinking Thai food for lunch. Also, I need to get the birth pool ready. <laughs> and he would say both things in the same sentence. And I'm like, okay. Right. I'm preparing a craft services table for our midwives full of delicious snacks and coolers full of their preferred beverages. We're packing an overnight bag for Aslan because he's going to go stay with his Nana. Things are just kind of happening all over the place, but it's not chaotic. No, it was really lovely. It was really fucking lovely and seamless. And yeah, that was a beautiful picture you just painted of like, it's so mundane, but still so sacred at the same time. And so Aslan's Nana, who again, not blood related, this is just um, his godmother, who is the reason he's here. She's the one who gave us the message that we were to conceive him four years ago, picked him up for an overnight. And I had kind of my final final goodbye which we have a beautiful picture of us in the kitchen and with my big old belly and i'm just sort of hugging him and trying to comprehend that this is the last moment where it's just me and him that he's my only child and uh, and so then he leaves around two and then i drink the castor oil smoothie at 2 30 and then it's just waiting game and chris and i kept comparing it to when you take a huge dose of like mushrooms or acid and you're like all right so i've got How long until it kicks in? What do you do once you've taken it, but it hasn't kicked in yet? Answer, watch reruns of Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Chris was like, Churl, I am here for whatever you need. Like, let's just make a day of it. And I was like, I want to watch Gilmore Girls and binge eat food. Great. (laughs) Great. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And so that's what we did. We binge ate food and we watched Gilmore Girls. And then at some point I was like, I'm going to regret not taking maternity boudoir photos. And so I put on lipstick. That was it. And dragged Chris into my bedroom and had you take photos on my phone. They turned out gorgeous. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm so happy we did that. Yeah. And it was really... It's really beautiful. And of course, like you always add an irreverent spin to it. So there are the photos like with snacks and candy <laughs> strewn about you. And <laughs> the lighting was just on point and everything was just gorgeous. My girlfriend being my little, the little soulmate she is to me, dropped off a bouquet of roses and chicken tacos, which came in so handy. So we produced a couple humorous TikToks, and then around 7.30, I was eating some chicken tacos left by my girlfriend when I believe the first contraction hit. Correct. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, I've never had normal contractions before, so I'm like, wow, that thing that just happened to me really hurt. I don't think it was a contraction because it didn't feel anything like my last one. Right, and it was kind of foreshadowing because that was the theme that, you know, I, I can only imagine... It's difficult coming in with that trauma and how that skews your perception of what is happening and because it was so radically different. How how can you gauge? Like, how can you gauge what a contraction is? How can you gauge what's happening in this moment? And so the midwives come back several times throughout the day to take my vitals. That's what they do. Their office, we are so, just the universe just loves us so much and sets us up so that my midwife lives 
half a mile away and her office is a quarter mile away. Um, so she is just right down the street. They came back several times throughout the day to take my vitals. By 7.30, I'm texting, hey, I have this stabbing thing happening. I don't think it's a contraction though. <laughs> and But I did have you start timing whatever those weird things were just in case it turned out to be contractions. Mm. And so we continue to eat chicken tacos. And then at 8.30, they're like, why don't you drink another smoothie since you're not sure anything's happening yet? So at 8.30, I drink another smoothie. And then Chris reminded me that I requested to go lay down in our bed and watch some Gilmore Girls with both of you. And I asked if you guys would rub my back. Yeah, and to me, that was the first of many beautiful moments that unfolded because it really encapsulated what I think is our relationship, the three of us, and how special and magical and unique it is. I mean, just being there in general, like it felt like such a sacred and privileged position to be able to witness and to share in something that is really unique that no one else is going to be able to say that they were a part of. And so we... You know, like many drug trips, you decide that you want that venue change. You want to change the scenery. So it was like, mm, I still want to watch Gilmore Girls, but I do not want to do it in the living room anymore. I would like to transition to the bedroom and I would like you both to rub me. So first we get into the bedroom and at your blessing ceremony, Kylie had given you these stones for Joe to bury prior to Lucius's arrival. So that was the first thing that happened. And it really reminded me of this very sacred masculine moment. Joe creating a protective sort of circle around the space. And I thought that was really beautiful, you know, that you that you did that, that you sort of created the container for which the birthing happened. So you went to the four directions around the house and buried these crystals like you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is why I like to birth at home. And she knows I like to pow around with my shovel outside and various tools. So I don't remember this part. So were we laying in bed watching Gilmore Girls? And I feel like I started to not feel well. So you did toward the end. So we went in there right after you had the second castor oil smoothie. I was at your head. Joe was on your legs and feet. And there was just this really, I don't know, heart-centered moment of just the three of us in bed together to really paint a picture we've been through like an insane amount of things together the three of us and like we really are this like beautiful like polyamorous family where it like in some respects like i am this aloe parent to the children and so there's this moment of like you laying down on joe and i just loving on you and just you know, giving you our support and energy in the best way that we knew how at that moment. Watching Gilmore Girls, you know, it was really, it was really beautiful. 1030 is, is really when things, like in my mind, like shit got real at that point. Um, because you no longer wanted to be in the bedroom. You wanted to be back into the living room. You wanted to be back in the space where it was going to happen. And you had a shower because you were you got so cold so quickly. That's right. I was fucking freezing. Mm-hmm. I could not stop shivering, chattering. We even, I like cranked the house heat. It did not matter because it wasn't real. It was like hormonal and nervous system related. And so 
that stabby thing that I was still in denial was a contraction kept happening for longer, but there wasn't a pattern forming. So I was like, it's probably not real still. And I still refused to give any belief that I was like in labor because I was afraid that I wasn't. Meanwhile, the midwives are back at their office taking a nap, gearing up for the night ahead. Because that's what they do. They live to serve. And so they're like, all right, well, we're on our, we're at our office sleeping, ready when you are. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't think anything's happening. Um, and so then I take this super hot shower and then get out and we go into the living room. And now I am like, I don't want to eat anything. I can't even look at food. I don't want the TV on. Um, we turned on like just low key drumming music on Spotify and had candles lit and super low lighting like Christmas lights in the living room. And I wanted to get super spiritual. Mm-hmm. And it really did so well. You two were in the shower I went to the living room and I knew that you had a shamanic doula who was coming so I didn't want to do too much energy work but in that moment felt really called to do some and so I just sat in prayer and meditation and I just invited spirit and the ancestors and any benevolent being that wanted to be a witness and wanted to lend its strength and support to what was about to unfold to come into the space and I felt it and you both know i'm the person that sits in circle and when people are like oh my god i had a dream about a raven and then i saw a raven outside my door and oh my god the raven talked to me i'm like "Uh uh-huh uh-huh you cute that's not my experience (laughs) but that moment i felt the collective energy of spirit coming into the room and i think that's part of the magic of childbirth is that all of your ancestors are present, past, present, and future. And and they are there to witness. They are there to support. They are there to be and lend and edify and uplift what is about to happen. And then I started drumming just a little bit, just to create a little ambiance, a little mood, a little ushering in. And when you both came into the living room... That's when you started to get tired, Joe. And that's when Jess was like, if you, this is the time to go sleep. Like, if you're going to sleep, this is the time to do it. So we actually sent you away. They did. They pretty much, and and I was fine with this, but they knew know me better than I know me. Because if there is one thing more annoying than your husband sleeping during your labor, it is your husband yawning at you during labor. <laughs> and I believe I looked at you, you yawned. And I was like, sir, if you're going to yawn, I need you to leave. And you were like, okay. <laughs> right, right, right. And so you follow orders <laughs> of of the birthing person. <laughs> and, and that is what I did. And uh, got a few hours of sleep in because I know that, okay, we're, we're, we're approaching the runway. It's about to get... It's about to get serious. I, at this point, I still really didn't believe that those stabby things I was feeling in my pelvis were contractions again, because they felt so fucking different than like they had a clear beginning and a clear end. Um, They were exactly what birth classes said contractions were supposed to be, but it felt so different than Aslan's birth that I was like, this cannot possibly be it. It hurt like hell but it didn't have a pattern again i'm sure people probably think like your husband went to sleep for several hours and you labored without him but honestly it was perfect it was one of the most beautiful and intimate moments of my life (laughs) no i mean for real because uh, and intimate 
and and sensual and beautiful without any drugs like it was literally the most like <laughs> it was so beautiful because <laughs> and normally when chris and i are feeling this intimate it's because we high on something mm-hmm. but it was just the two of us and that was really the that moment where i realized okay this is what your role is because up until that point like i was your trouble watching gilmore girls like we're just hanging out but this is the moment where i felt like okay you're stepping into something more mm-hmm. like you are now fulfilling this sort of sacred duty you are now this caretaker and and not that i couldn't take your pain away there was nothing i could really do for you i could just be there for you and so in this moment like i could remind you to drink water and i could put oils on your body and we could breathe together and this was what i felt was the one of the most woo woo moments because we had decided to pull cards and so you broke out that maternity it's a sacred birth deck that my friend had sent me as a gift and without these absolutely gorgeous birth affirmations on them. And so we pull cards. What was so amazing about the cards that we pulled that I didn't know at the time, one of them what read, breathe the baby down. Yeah, breathe the, I breathe my baby down, which was a divine message I had received from spirit. It was my directions for this birth was that I was supposed to breathe this baby down from the heavens. Mm-hmm. And so you shared that moment with me. So then we put that card on the altar and then you and I just sat and we deep belly breathed right. for like 20 to 30 minutes and just... Breathing can be such an intimate moment, but we really synchronized together. Well, that, that's very tantric. I don't remember. I remember that, but I don't remember mm-hmm. Because by this point, it hurts so bad. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, I am still afraid to think that I am in labor. Mm-hmm. But I am like, whatever is happening to me is fucking awful. And I also want to chime in here. Before I nod off to sleep, I did feel some guilt about leaving the space. But then could sense what was occurring between you two and the energy in the moment that you guys were sharing and TT's got it you know TT is here to see you through this part of it I had played my role to the best of my ability up until this point especially the last month of pregnancy getting the space ready painting multiple rooms Marie condoing the fuck out of the house because I do not like clutter it is my number one enemy and so here's another tie-in with polyamory is that everyone plays a different role. Correct. And so I had been, and, and, and all of that occurs to me in a flash in an instant of, okay, I had played my role and I felt good and satisfied and fulfilled when doing that. And here was, I couldn't imagine anyone better to, to be there and to take over at this point. And we have to give some context here. This is in our tribe, in our circle, this, you guys is the longest standing relationship going on somewhat, what, 14 years, That's right. something like that. And going all the way back to the university of Wisconsin, Madison, before you even moved to Reno. Mm-hmm. And so knowing how much you guys have seen and done together performing we've all performed together you guys have done shaman school together you have um you know just done so much in this city together and to have this be another thing on that journey was just so magical to witness and to just have all that occur to me in a flash before i go off to sleep was was something that um is still with me Mm mm-hmm And I really have to say, like, I really applaud you. I mean, I found it so sexy because in that moment, traditionally, like, someone would be jealous. 
you know, because you had that flash simultaneously. I had the flash of, okay, am I stepping into something that's not mine to step into? Like, was I taking something away from you in that moment by, by being this person, by fulfilling this role? And what I think is so beautiful about you is in that moment, there was like complete release and surrender to what needed to happen and what was best in that moment without attachment or ego to you needing to have something or own something or possess something of the experience. Right. Well, and I knew that it's what both of you guys wanted was I knew that you wanted to, to assist and help in that way. And I knew that you wanted Chris there. And you didn't give something that you didn't have to give. Correct. Mr. Yanni McYonstein. <laughs> <laughs> like no. I, I, I wanted the person who was like, I'm fueled up. I'm ready to go. Let's mm-hmm. do this. And so it was perfect. And that is who I wanted. And I knew it. I couldn't have planned for that, but I knew it in the moment. I just wanted to be Chris. Right. And I also want to specify that this is my role is the pre-production is the setting up of the space. And it's something that I've done in multiple different contexts and scenarios. And so I really enjoy that part of the production making sure that you know the food is out and all of that stuff set up and tear down yeah yeah, yeah which and is we the did. part that like i never want to <laughs> <laughs> i'm here for the performance mm-hmm. yeah and we and you laid out an amazing craft services table so that when our guests did arrive we had all kinds of goodies and food and drinks for them to choose from yeah so since you put it that way it's occurring to me now that like chris is someone i can be completely vulnerable with and so in my first birth i had way too many friends present and i was trying to perform and i couldn't and i had to kick everyone out but now cut to my second birth i mean completely the opposite of that it was me and you girl it was me and you for 90 percent of the journey up that birth mountain and I don't have a need to perform in front of you. Mm-hmm. And so I can be my most vulnerable. Yeah. And there's, I'm sure people talk about this all the time in, in witnessing birth, but there is something so bare bones essence of humanity. Like I saw you in a light that I'd never seen you before. Like I saw your strength. I saw your resilience. Ooh, I saw your fortitude. Like that you just cannot see someone who has gone through that process that journey in the same light Mm -hmm. like you are changed by witnessing it but also how you see everyone who was present you'll see them differently forever Mm. that's beautiful thanks girl i just think oh it's so real so you and i made like tantric birthy creatrix love for however long in the living room and then at some point I looked at you and and it's so funny when you allow birth to happen naturally, the woman, the birthing person, their body knows what they need. It's very primal. It's very primal. The body, even if the mind has no idea why, it's the body's like, I need to go over there right now and do this. And so I looked at you after our ceremonial, you know, session in the living room and said, I need to go lay down in bed right now. And I think that was around midnight. Mm-hmm, correct. And so we went and woke Joe up and said, you need to go sleep on the couch. <laughs> yeah. So we kicked Joe out of bed. He went and slept on the couch and you and I got into bed. Chris had one hand on the phone with the contractions app opened and one hand that I would squeeze mm-hmm. with every contraction. Did I ever, did I break your hand at all? No. And it was, I'm again, just so incredible. That moment of like, 
you reach a hand out in the darkness and there's one like that meets yours mm-hmm. and it totally like you just feel this synergy just mm-hmm. this immense connection and and i always called bullshit on people who said like they could sleep between between contractions i was like that's not humanly possible because keep in mind i never had a between contractions before but sure enough we were so tired and mm-hmm. i was so exhausted from you know the little bit of labor up to this point in the long day we had had that we got into this flow where I would go go and then I would growl and scream and moan and cry for you know up to a minute and then I would say stop you would stop the timer and then you and I would both pass out (laughs) between contractions I feel like we got a decent nap in. We did. I mean, if you take all those two to five minute moments and string them together, we probably got about like a 45 minute nap. <laughs> I felt, I genuinely felt refreshed because mm-hmm. around 2.30, the contractions started to get worse. And again, I still have not called my doula because I am terrified that when she gets here, it's going to be like, you're not in labor. Those aren't contractions and everything that's been happening is going to stop and everything's going to go away for an entire day. And so at 2.30, at this point, I have not been checked for dilation at all. I have I have not requested it. Midwives do not enforce it. And the midwives are not even there yet. And I look at you around 2.30 and I'm just, I'm so desperate. And I finally say, I think it's time for Tiffany to check me. I need to be checked. Mm-hmm. And I was so scared. At this point, I'm woken. I, I I wake up to just like this piercing scream that it sounded different than the other ones prior. And that's when I know, okay, it's fucking go time. So you guys could hear the difference in my... I definitely... Mm-hmm. There is a... I mean, it's all primal and it's all real as fuck. But there was something different about this one that was just... I want to say more urgent and more piercing. That's the only word that I can come up with at the moment. There's an episode of the Golden Girls where they go to a birthing center because a Blanche's daughter has gotten artificial insemination <laughs> from a sperm bank. And it's really controversial because Blanche keeps going, a sperm bank, a sperm bank. <laughs> and they go to this birthing center and these are the things that as like a flamboyant queer person are going through your mind at two o'clock in the morning when your best friend is going into labor or is in labor is they're in this birthing center and this woman goes into labor and it's like, ah, ah. And then all of a sudden she goes, ah. (laughs) Yeah. It was very sharp. Mm -hmm. Like Like it just. Ah, the sounds of the switch into active labor. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so as the person making the sounds, I was not aware. All I remember is looking at you going, I need you to call Tiffany. I need Tiffany to be here. And I'm still afraid that she's going to come and be like, no, this is not, we still have hours to go. I'm going back home. And the reason I could allow her to be called and come, now keep in mind, she has said, do not hesitate to call me. I want to be here. You are not a burden. You are not an inconvenience. This is all just my shit, okay? But I had to be in my shit. You can't alter it in that moment. Um, The reason I could allow her to come was because she was only four minutes away. And so thank God for that. Or I might have like held off even longer. And so I'm like, I need to know where I am. And I am preparing for devastation. I'm like, I need Tiffany to get here. It's 2.30 in the morning. I finally need her to check my dilation. I need to know where I am. I am preparing for her to be like, so you're at 2. 
Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to head back to my office and sleep. Her assistant midwife doesn't even come. Tiffany comes by herself. She gets there. She enters quietly, delicately, because midwives are fucking fairies like that. She, I lay back on the bed in my bedroom. She checks me. She comes up and goes, um, so you're almost at seven. And y'all, seven is active labor, especially a second time birthing person can go from seven to pushing in... 30 minutes sometimes less like and so the look on her face of um you're at seven the next thing I know she's like tell Amanda to get here you need to call your doula <laughs> like why is your doula not here and I was like um I was afraid that I was not in labor and I am literally in the middle of the sentence I'm afraid I'm not in labor when I scream an active labor contraction and she looks at me and I was like um okay so maybe I'm in labor <laughs> and she was like well, and what I love about that moment, because, A, you thought that at seven centimeters, Tiffany wasn't going to stay. Yes, so, I did. So, like, think... you you thought yes. she was going to leave, yeah. and, and like, <laughs> Tiffany just had this, like, look and this expression of, like, oh, no, it's go time right yeah. now. And and this was the first moment of, of why I love midwives, and specifically why I love Tiffany, because they do have this, like, I'm not going to tell you what to do, and I'm not going to impose or force anything, but also there are very specific times and very specific moments where I'm going to tune into what it is that you need, and, I, and I'm going to remind you of that. So there was a moment still where you didn't know if you wanted to call your doula, and, you were, and all of a sudden, <laughs> Tiffany cuts through the noise, and, like, just this... Very clear question. Do you want her here? And it was just what you needed to hear to go, yes, I want her here. And it was like, good, call the doula. <laughs> like, there was no, like, we do not have time to to play around. Like, do you want her here? Would her being here provide solace and comfort to you? And you're like, yes, then call her. It, it's so clear now. And I also remember thinking seven she wasn't going to stay at seven centimeters and the look of her being like, yeah, no, I'm here for the rest of the night, honey. I'm not leaving. I was like, oh, okay, good. Cause I want you here. And then I've only seen two home births other than my own. And at both of them, the midwives are very hands off. They wait around. They're often in another room while the birthing person does their own thing. And, when it's about time to have a baby, suddenly the midwife being the assistant brings all of the stuff in, everything that they need, the tubes and the blankets and the heating pads and all the monitors, whatever. And when when Amanda, the assistant, starts bringing that stuff in, a baby comes out soon after at the two births that I've been at. And so I'm birthing, I'm laboring in the room. And the next thing I know, Amanda starts bringing in all the stuff. And I'm like, that's weird. Why is she doing that? We, we're not possibly close to having a baby. It's like everyone else knew where I was except for me. Mm-hmm. And we're also getting the tub ready at this point. Mm-hmm. So a couple things to like add to what was happening because all of a sudden you go from this very like close intimate like it almost in some ways it felt like birth because we were in this very contained space me and you me and you and then all of a sudden it was tiffany and amanda your midwives midwives. and then tanya your doula and then also two members of your birth team that were going to come and just provide energetic support that we're going to film that we're going to photograph casey and kylie and so in a matter of what felt like 20 minutes that's what it felt like to me yeah totally you know all of a sudden it went from you know the three of us but mainly just 
the two of us to now there were about six or seven people. And what was so incredible and different for this birth as opposed to last birth was how seamless everything went. Oh, God. So Tiffany comes in and what I remember is she did this practice where she like pressed on your diaphragm or kind of hugged you a little bit. She was lifting the baby up and into me during a contraction. And it was just this beautiful moment of she's behind you and hugging you and you could just see this relief on your face, you know? And and it was this intimate moment where it's like, yes, midwives do have this hands off but like also come in at just the right moment to provide what it is that you need and so in that moment that's what you needed and it was so I mean it's just amazing to watch I think it's so cool that you're the first birth you ever witnessed was not just a birth but a home birth mm-hmm. with people that you deeply love mm-hmm. and it's it's just very sacred yeah so I continued to birth in my living room and I had spent hours and hours laboring with just my best friend Chris and now all of a sudden at three o'clock in the morning my entire birth team is there and it is still a dimly lit home everyone is walking around very quiet you wouldn't even know anyone was there everyone was really maintaining their space I felt like I was just doing my thing I was sort of wavering from room to room I would grab the nearest person to me when I would have a contraction because they were the most awful thing I've ever felt in my life. Mm-hmm. But they were also lovely because they had clear beginnings and clear endings, and I genuinely could rest in between. And Tanya, my shamanic doula, got there at just the right time, so you like passed me off to her. And then she took over, and that woman is fucking talented. She is a talented shaman, and she is a talented doula. And when she blended those two things together... During active labor, it was the greatest thing to ever happen to me. Like she was doing all kinds of pressure point release and counter pressure. Um, She was coaching me at a whisper between every contraction. Good job. Let it go. Start over. Release it. Where are you right now? What are you doing? How do you need to breathe? And it was just she was so fucking magical massaging me and touching me. Never once did I ever have to correct her. Mm -hmm. And that's just a thing that happens That's when you're in labor. Sometimes someone touches you and you're like, don't touch me there. And it's just what it is. You cannot have personal feelings if you are attending someone's birth i never had to do that because she was intimately tuned into my energy and my needs without checking me or knowing where i'm at based solely on the sounds i am making midwife because midwives are fucking witches they're like you it's time for you to push and i'm like pushing at the foot of my bed which is exactly where i birthed aslan and i could not do it y'all The only way I can explain it is that a contraction feels like a sword going up into your vagina. The energy is going up. And they were saying, I need to push, which is down and out. And it is the most painful thing I have ever felt in my life. And I could not push into it. And I was like, I know I birthed Aslan in this position. It was not working. And so with every contraction, I would try to push and I was holding my breath and clenching and I couldn't push. And I was starting to freak out. I was like, I can't push this baby out like this. I was trying different positions and I started to really panic because I was like, can I please get into the birth tub? And they were like, you ran out of hot water. You cannot birth a baby in a cold tub. We will not allow it. You can't get in the birth tub and so I started to have a little bit of a panic attack because I knew that I needed to be in a tub of water and they were telling me it was not possible 
And I knew where I was pushing in my room was not possible. And so I started to freak out of how am I going to get this baby out? Because I cannot push right here. Heating up some water on the stove. That's how you get it out. We had uh, one of our birthing team members was on that and getting the tub ready. Well, and then bless her heart, my shaman sister, Casey, she had had a dream that she was at the birth. And that's how we knew that she was meant to be at this birth. And she's the one who figured out that enough time had passed that our water heater had recharged. And so she ran the hose again enough to get super hot water into the tub enough to fill it up so that it was the perfect temperature and the next thing i know is just the tub is ready do you want to get in and bitch i flew <laughs> you did you yeah. really did because again you know there's a moment where okay i'm i'm standing back and and i'm watching everyone fulfill their role in perfect harmony and, and perfect choreographed sequence. I mean, it really was a dance. Tiffany and Amanda, the midwives, did not talk, but yet knew instinctively like what needed to happen, what equipment was necessary. The bed then became stripped and the pads were put down. And again, there was a shift in your screams. And these ones became more guttural. Like, they came from a deep place. Like, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, that is from, that is the land before time <laughs> grown. And that was the moment where I think the birth team was like, it's happening. Like, it's happening now. And that was the moment that Casey sort of clued in was like, can we check the tub? Like, can we check the tub? Can we check the water? Because like, it's everyone just had this, this instinctive energy that Lucius was coming soon. Except for me. Yeah. And I think it was just a survival thing that I needed to not believe the whole time. And so by this point, you know, my entire birth team's there. I am still like my birth could, my labor could stop at any minute. That's what happened with Aslan is I was, it stopped several times, including at the end. And so I, out of survival, refused to believe that I was anywhere close to the end. I couldn't, I could not believe I was anywhere close to the end until it was over. That's what I had to do. And so all I, but the pain was so intense and it was clearly on some kind of trajectory. I just the birthing pre you can't think about anything else like it is i've got to breathe while i am not having a contraction because i know this other death feeling is coming any second now and so i skipped down the hallway to get into the water um and there's this like really beautiful picture of me in the living room where right before i get in where it's just so raw and i am clearly so miserable and so over it and i step into this water and they call the birth tub the the midwives anesthesia because it was like nothing I have ever felt in my life. I believe my exact words were, oh, fucking Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, my fucking God. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. All my pain went away. Mm. Like the stabbing po- up feeling that I was like, I cannot push into this. It is humanly impossible was completely gone all of the pain went away and all i could feel was the need to push which i also never had with aslan i never got the fetal eject 
uh, instinct, which was also traumatizing because I had to push without it with Aslan. And this time I was like, hmm, I feel like I could poop, <laughs> which is hmm. which is the need to push. And in that birth tub, that magical hot water, the sounds of the shamanic drumming music, my doula sitting behind me doing all of her fucking magic, everyone else at a distance. I was being given so much space. Everyone else was spread across the living room. No one was in my grill. No one was in my space. They were occasionally checking baby's heart tones. Everything was fine. He was perfect the whole time. And the next thing I know, I am just laboring in this tub. I'm prepared to be in this bitch for a couple hours. That's where I was at. I I pushed for 18 minutes. <laughs> Most of that, some of that was not even in the tub. I think once I got in the tub, I only pushed for 12 minutes. I I just start pushing and I am like, um, I feel a head coming out of my body. And again, I never had this experience with Aslan because it went from nothing is happening to he shot out of my body and no one knows how. And so this was my dream birth, the birth that I had prophesized when I first met Joe and I had foreseen a home birth in the water. And I was so sure that that was Aslan's birth. <laughs> so sure. <laughs> so sure. And so here I am now pushing out this baby in the water and everything is so calm and so sacred and so peaceful. And I'm like, I think he's coming. I think he's coming. And everyone in the room just stands up. Like everyone was sitting down and kind of out of the way. And then all of a sudden there's this, I don't know, collective incoming. When I say, no, really, he's coming. Mm. The I, You feel like you are about to poop out a boulder and you just keep pushing. And I cannot tell you where my bravery came from in that moment because I was so scared and I wanted to stop pushing so bad. And something came over me and it helped me keep going and I will never forget that feeling because I have never felt more brave in my whole life than I did in the moment I was pushing out that baby it was totally instinctual and totally humans the most human I've ever felt and I just kept pushing and I was so scared but so not scared and then the next thing I know is he slid out of me and Tiffany quietly says go ahead and pick him up and put him on your chest and I just heard this <gasps> in the room. What was the moment like for you the moment he came out? Well, first, the second you got into the tub, again, the energy shifted completely. And what you witness is like a council of divine feminine circulating you. Like, that's really what it was. I mean, it was sort of like... like Joe and I were holding out like the sacred masculine, like we were on the perimeter, <laughs> but you just saw like such tender care of like your birth team and especially like the divine feminine energy that was present in there. And then again, you get into the tub and Churl, the sounds that you made, I mean, you could tell it was coming. I mean, it was deep. It was powerful. It was <laughs> hot and it was, you know, it was just... Like, again, like you were summoning the collective strength of every single birthing parent before you that was in that moment. And then it felt like this vacuous hole, like all the energy and air had been sucked out of the room. And Casey, who was standing next to me, like 
holds on to me and she was like oh my god thank you so much for like letting me hold on to and I was like girl thank you so much for holding on to me because it Mm -hmm. feels like okay this may like not be the most appropriate example like read the room but also like so there's this game uh, called Borderlands and whenever you die in Borderlands there's kind of like this like blue purpley hazy whirlpooly like thing that happens that transports you and that was what it felt like it felt like the second before Lucius was born it was like all of the air and energy was sucked out of the room and then we started moving through this wormhole And it was like the birth of creation. Like, and it really is a big bang moment because you're waiting in anticipation for what is about to happen. And there's nothing like it. That moment of like, you're in pain, all of a sudden you're not. One second he's not in this world and the next he is. One second he's not crying and the next second he's crying. And it's that... that first sound that you hear and everyone was completely decimated like everyone received this collective healing the reason why they were there we all got something we all received a gift in that moment and had a visceral reaction so everyone then begins to lose it everyone in that moment just begins to cry and sob and you hear joe and you hear kylie and you hear you i mean you were in a state of exasperation like not really sure what was happening or that it did happen mouth completely agape because (laughs) what was happening for me in that moment was my mind body and spirit were all finally coming into present time because my body had been laboring that whole time but my mind and my spirit refused to believe it out of fear and doubt and so the moment that he came out and was born, it was like of like everything like, oh, you were in labor and now it's over and here's your baby. And so the the trinity that is me came into present time mm-hmm. in one single moment and united in the present. And it was just like, I couldn't fucking, I fucking did it, man. You fucking mm. did it. <laughs> I fucking did it. And it was such a sacred, all birth is sacred, but this one was so sacred mm-hmm. it felt very ancient uh maybe it was the shamanic drumming that was kind of just lightly playing maybe this fact it was about five in the morning maybe it was the light snow outside kind of like the end of winter it felt very narnia like kind of in line with the names we have chosen for our children and similar to that council of elders or women that you described that's kind of what i felt was something there was some kind of presence gathering around jess as she brought this baby into this world and that collective like like sort of in breath and then like out breath and as a true pisces this one here just literally swims right smoothly right into the birthing tub and then all of a sudden there there's a human and there's this collective hush and just utter silence and reverence surrounding everything that was happening and i don't think anyone could quite put words to what they felt in terms of the healing that they received but i think we all group mind felt it without even really looking at each other or acknowledging it but we certainly all felt it including our midwives and our doula no doubt i mean in that moment all of my trauma from my previous birth had been washed away that's what happened for me his birth for me was total alchemy of my trauma so the minute that he came out and i realized i had done it 
I had had this, what midwives call a butter birth, meaning they did not have to intervene at all. It was smooth as butter. I had received total alchemy and a total, it was my redemption birth. He had redeemed me from everything I had been through before. It was a literal miracle. Um, and there was just this mushroom cloud of healing that washed through the room. And like Chris said, everyone got a gift. Everyone got something that was just for them, but also everyone got kind of a part of my gift because everyone knew the trauma that I had to work through to get to that point. And so there was like a collective relief, um, and healing for just bearing witness, I think for what everyone knew I was experiencing as well. Therein lies the beauty of home birth is that you're surrounded by your people and you're in your house and you're in a warm pool of water and we, we don't have these harsh lights overhead. You know, the, the lights are dark and we have Christmas lights going around the top of by the ceiling and we have candles and that's how the room is lit. And so it's very warm. It's very inviting and it's very much you. It was it was beautiful and hearing the. <gasps> the gasp when he swam out and then the sobbing when I pulled him on my chest and then I just got to bond with my baby the midwives being midwives swept in like fairies to check his heart rate checked his pulse made sure he was okay and then they stepped back and I got to bond with my baby and I went and laid on the couch and was immediately surrounded by my soul sister Kylie who was kissing my head and rubbing me um, which was a beautiful moment for us because that is what I had done to her when I witnessed her home birth and so it was like this role reversal and so profound for the two of us and I believe you and Joe took the baby and I was attended to in my living room by people who loved me. And the baby was attended to in the living room by people who loved him. And everything was calm and peaceful and sacred and in our, in our den, in our little lion's den. Mm-hmm. There's a moment, and I'll never forget, I still haven't processed this yet. And so I will try to get through this and not get overly emotional. So I'm in the kitchen and all of a sudden I hear Joe tell Tiffany and Amanda, I want Chris to cut the cord. And this was not part of the birth plan. And so all of a sudden Tiffany and Amanda usher in and they're like, Joe wants you to cut the cord. And traditionally that is such a father thing to do. Like that is the thing that is, it's like sacred. And... I think it just underscored how much I love Joe as a person that in that moment he was like, I want Troll to cut the cord. And so there's Joe holding Lucius, me with Tiffany, and we're cutting the cord. And it was just this moment. It was just this moment of just beauty and love and just something that I never thought I would do in my lifetime. And it just instantly bonded me to this little soul so quickly. And then I got to do chest to chest. And it's just such a, it's just such a gift. You know, it's just such a sacred moment. Like there are so many people in y'all's lives who love you and love your children. But that was such an honor and a privilege, you know, and I'm so grateful you know, and I feel like it just encapsulated the whole birth story was that moment of like feeling this sacred charge in the family. Mm. <sighs> yeah. And I, 
this wasn't something I had planned on or even thought of, but you're, I'm sitting holding Lucius in a, in a chair and something just comes in, you know, Chris should cut the cord. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't wrestle with that or question it at all. I had gotten to have that experience with Aslan and, and so it's not like I was giving up something. I was still holding the baby. So I was still a part of it. And this really plays into a larger theme of Lucius's birth and that he feels like there are other parents than just Jessica and myself, Tiffany being one of them, Cheryl being the other, both of you prior to the birth had expressed a, a deep desire to want to spend enormous amounts of time with the baby. Uh, not necessarily more so than Aslan, but just there was a different intention around it that, than had happened before. And, you know, I know how seriously you meant that knowing how much you love Aslan and, and the transformation that you had undergone and um, all of that. And so I think it, it really just brought all of that together in a nice way. And so when this, when this thought, this download comes in, you know, I, I just trust it and go with it. And, um, I can't, I can't say where it came from or, or why, but I knew that it was the right thing. Man, that's fucking beautiful. I had no idea this happened. I found out later I was high as fuck on oxytocin, living my best goddamn life, dreaming about the three bacon, egg and cheese biscuits from McDonald's (laughs) I was about to eat. Which it was about to open 6am. Yeah. And so y'all my vagina did not tear i had this this was the dream birth i am so blessed and so grateful to have received this and i just feel like it's very on brand for the day lovers that we had a birth with i mean where we're like even in love with our birth team like that's how no joke that's how amorous we are that you know the moment that I shared with Tiffany right when he came out, you can see it on the birth video on our Instagram page of I just grab her and hug her and she kisses my head because she knows. It's like my sister, you know, it's like being so in love with everyone at this birth and it really bonding everyone together. It was just so amazing. And then we sent two people on a McDonald's run at 6 a.m. and I housed three bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits. They were the greatest of my life the meal you eat after birth is the greatest meal of your life i didn't want everyone to leave i was extremely Mm. what's the opposite of trauma bonded (laughs) peak experience bonded i was peak experience bonded i did not want everyone to leave we all binged mcdonald's and it was fucking fabulous and then around like 6 37 people started leaving and life just took off from there I believe it was much later than that, actually. Like, people hung around, I want to say, until 10, almost 10, 30, 11. And the whole thing for me was very similar, rather ironically, to an ayahuasca ceremony where you take part in a sacrament, you go on a long journey, something happens, you, you get messages, and you see yourself through to the other side, then you rest, and you come back together in the morning, and you share what you got out of it. And it was very, very much similar to that communal feeling. Yeah, it was insane. I had a client at 11, did not know how to do that. I was like, you should just cancel. Like, you should just cancel. <laughs> because it, it is very much like an ayahuasca trip or any sort of drug trip where there is a, a transition out of the magical drug space. Right. 
in into default into reality (laughs) and so there was a moment where you're like soaking in like sacred primordial energies of creation (laughs) multi-dimensional yes mm, i'm soaking in that cosmic life force energy cool i'm gonna ground with some mcdonald's and then oh i have to go on with my day or like, I'm choosing to go on with my day. And no one knows what you just went How through. How do midwives do it? Do not know. I do How not know. They, they are superheroes. Do not do it. And I think about all the times when Tiffany, when I've interacted with Tiffany and she had just gone to a birth and and I'm probably like flitting about some triviality and she's like entertaining it and she's like chatting with me about it. And now I'm like, you just saw creation come out of a vagina. And played a role in it. Sometimes back to back to back and then has to, you know, go to her office and talk to someone on the phone and pay pay her taxes. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you bounce back and forth from that space to regular life? Something I'm curious about here, Charles, is, you know, you were there for the entire evolution from the very beginning until the very end. And so I don't know if there's any specific takeaways you had from that aspect of it, being there for the whole time. So I think a couple takeaways I had, I knew that part of the medicine that Lucius gave me was sort of this harmonization of my own sacred masculine divine feminine. And I really feel like that was the energy that I stepped into in that space where you you sort of embody this this caretaker role but not in this like like you didn't need me to do anything like and i think i mentioned this earlier like you had it even though like maybe you didn't feel like you had it or you didn't believe that you had it i was just there as a support but i wasn't there to like do anything for you or save you in any capacity or take away your pain or or anything like that like i was just there to bear witness and i feel like i really understood what that means to bear witness to a birth Mm. like i thought it was this voyeuristic kind of thing where you just sort of stand back and you're removed or detached from what's happening i didn't realize how much i would be a part of what I what was unfolding and and how much I would receive simply by being there in that space and in that energy and how much like I I think sometimes in my limited experience there are moments where the the birthing parent is doubted or invalidated in terms of what they're feeling or what they're going through and I think what was really beautiful about the community and tribe that you both created was that at no point did anyone try to persuade you to do anything or invalidate what you were feeling so every single person at every single juncture and moment showed up and accepted exactly what was happening and and what you offered and what you gave them without egoic need or attachment or agenda and I even in my coaching like talk about unconditional love and acceptance and removing the ego and need and agenda and I had never experienced a more prevalent and powerful Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. of removing one's ego and agenda from a situation than bearing witness to someone's home birth Mm. Well, that's perfect because I was just going to ask you, I want to wrap this episode, Chris, by asking you, now that you've seen 
not just birth, but a home birth. What are your final thoughts on home birth and midwives? A final thought on home birth and midwives. One, Tiffany and Amanda were so accessible at, at any given moment. So whatever you, you were always in control. Like that was like one of the most powerful things. Like we talk about agency for for birthing parents. We talk about choice. And you really had agency and choice at every moment. And they were solely concerned with your health and the health of Lucius and providing you with whatever you needed in that moment without an agenda. The fact that we could sleep eat tacos and Thai food, watch Gilmore Girls, be in your bed. There was such a comfort and it was so sacred. I mean, it's indescribable, the the energy, because the this was the space that we had holidays. This was the space where we had parties and celebrations. So the collective memory and the institutional history of our lives was is written on the walls of that house and in that room and so all of that energy all that good positive loving energy was in that space and in that moment all lending itself to what was happening and the fact that it was not jarring at any moment like even though you were in pain and you were screaming and hollering and again it felt like sometimes laying before time dinosaur all of that <laughs> like it was so beautiful because you felt like oh my gosh i'm witnessing something that has been happening for tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of years i'm i'm witnessing something that has happened for a millennia I'm witnessing something that is so undeniably magic. Like magic at its core is birth. And watching two people who cared not just about you, but like your family and like who are part of your lives and who, I mean, it's just everything. Mm. You know, like you said, you could go to a hospital. And, and again, this my sister had a hospital birth, loved it. She is someone who like, that is her jam. Give her the epidural. She loved it. She had a great experience. But like, you could go to a hospital, not know who your doctor could not be on call, could be some random person who is in your most private, vulnerable moment. And, and it seems so such like a violation, mm-hmm. you know? So the fact that you knew that your team loved you unconditionally, loved your family unconditionally, loved and wanted so much for you to have this beautiful experience and was willing to do whatever it took to to ensure that experience. If you think of birth like a ceremony, I mean, his the home birth of Lucia's soul daily lover was, was truly artistically and beautifully done. Well, I want to thank you both for reliving that birth story with me and for the role that you played in it and for making babies with me, babe. I felt it again in the retelling. Uh, mm. Some small piece of it kind of came back through. That magic, that co-creationary process, and just all three of our journeys separately as individuals, but also together as a kind of triad, if you will, mm-hmm. making all of this magic here in this wonderfully weird city we call Reno. Now, you can never really capture the magic of a really good LSD trip, but you can give your child the initials LSD and try <laughs> to hold on to it forever. You are listening to Remodeled. 
the podcast. And that concludes season one of Remodeled. Thank you so much for being a part of an experiment that became a movement, honestly. And look, we're not going anywhere. We are firing right back up with a season two that I think none of us are really prepared for. If you want to be a part of what we're doing, join our Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can be a part of what keeps Remodeled moving forward. I want to say what up to our newest patrons, Fresh Bacon, Nell, Ashley B, Sarah M, Associate Producer, Jeannie B coming in at $50 a month, Blythe C, Martin B, and Tipper G. Follow us on TikTok at Home Slice Productions, on Instagram and Twitter at Remodeled Love. We've also got a full website now, remodeledlove.com. You can learn more about us, links to all of our social media, and information about coaching with the day lovers. We'll see you soon with season two. You're listening to Remodeled, the podcast.